This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Church, are you ready to study God's Word together this morning? Yes. You turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to get there eventually this morning, trust me, okay? I want you to think about this as we get started this morning. What are your expectations of church leadership? What are the roles and responsibilities that you believe that a pastor or an elder or a deacon or, or whatever leadership position that we have in the church, what are your expectations? What are the roles? What are the responsibilities that you think of? You see, every one of us in some shape, form, or fashion have probably been acculturated in some way towards church leadership. Whether you've been in the church for a while or maybe if you're just completely new to the church, there are ideas, there are mindsets, there are even experiences, both positive and negative. And those experiences will color the way we approach this topic this morning. Uh, Dr. Tom Rayner is president of Lifeway Christian Resources, uh, it's basically our Southern Baptist publishing house, and uh, he was a noted pastor for many years before uh, getting to that position. And a few years ago, Dr. Rayner, whenever he was still pa- pastoring in St. Petersburg, Florida, conducted an experiment with his deacons, and he gave a survey to the 12 of them containing several congregational responsibilities and asked them to share the minimum amount of time they thought he should spend in each of those areas each week. And he was shocked to see the results because whenever he tabulated all the hours that the expectations were of him to preach, to study, to visit, to counsel, to administer, administration, whatever the responsibility was, totaling All that together was more than 114 hours a week. And to put that in perspective, that would require 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Or if he took one day off, because we're generous, right? 19 hours a day, six days a week. And remember, this was only the minimum requirements that he asked about. You see, there are a lot of expectations that God's people can have on God's leaders. And oftentimes, they're not even biblical expectations. They're just simply human expectations. And we can even see from uh, Dr. Rayner's simple study, and I know this is an isolated study, but I do believe that it speaks to the greater expectations sometimes that we as Christians can have of our leaders in the church, that when we see that, there oftentimes a chasm exists between what our expectations are and what God lays out as biblical responsibilities. And this morning as we talk about another value that we have here at Mill City Church, the value of leadership, we value leadership in the church. We affirm leadership in the church. And we do that because God affirms it in his scriptures. And what we want to do today is to at least debunk some unhealthy expectations or some unhealthy viewpoints that we may have of church leadership, and then hopefully to inform all of us of what our roles, expectations, and responsibilities are towards church leadership. And I have to be honest with you, even as we get started this morning before we dive into our outline, that even in studying for this this week, God challenged me and just the awesome responsibility that I have 
and the awesome responsibility that our other elders have in our church. And I hope that you will be challenged today of the awesome responsibility that you have as a member of God's church, as a person who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, as we enter into this morning, I want to start with three brief foundations, and then we're going to dive into the body of our outline. But here are foundations about church leadership, about church authority, that are very important for each one of us to remember as we start thinking about earthly leadership of God's church. Number one, only Jesus is the head of the church. Only Jesus is the head of the church. The head of the church does not sit in Rome, nor does he sit in Nashville, where the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention are located. The head of the church is not any bishop, it's not any denominational entity. The head of the church of Jesus Christ is none other than Jesus Christ himself, and all authority emanate from him. We see this in a couple of different places in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 says this, that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That is indicative. It's a statement of fact. Christ is the head. Colossians chapter 1 would say the exact same thing in verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. And so the first foundation that we need to be reminded of today is that only Jesus is the head. Number two, every Christian is a minister in the local church. Every Christian is a minister of the local church. Now this, here's, this is very important for us to grasp this morning. There is a pervasive wisdom in God's church that basically looks at the pastor or an elder or a staff member that somehow that all the ministry must fall on those shoulders. And not only do all the ministry endeavors of the church supposed to fall on those shoulders, that if we have the right leaders in place, that those leaders can somehow make all the bad things go away and only make good things come. And if there are any uncomfortable moments in the life of the church, then it must be a problem of leadership because the leadership simply exists to minister to people's needs and, and, and to take all the bad things away and make all the good things come. And, and really and truly what we're saying at that moment is that people like me and people like our staff and our other elders and leaders, we are basically like spiritual vending machines. And we are simply the place from which you come and get all of your spiritual commodities maybe you're looking for. But the Bible doesn't paint the church leadership responsibilities in that way at all. As a matter of fact, the, church, the, the Bible is going to place so much responsibility on the shoulders of each individual Christian in God's church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It'll be on the screens. Peter writes to the church at Rome that you are a chosen race. Look at the next phrase. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So you see from the scriptures, the scriptures teach us that each person who has been saved by the blood of Jesus, that you have a responsibility in God's church to be fellow ministers of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel 
and also to minister the gospel to one another and the lost world. The term minister doesn't define my vocation, but it defines my function. And not only is it my function, it is also your function in God's church. And as a matter of fact, my role as a leader in God's church, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.13 that the role of the pastors and the teachers is ultimately to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, yes, Jesus is the only head of the church. But before we ever get into any leadership positions that we want to talk about, we must also recognize that every member is meant to be a minister of the gospel towards one another and towards the lost world through the power of Jesus Christ inside of you. But thirdly, the third foundation, this is important for us, because at this point, when you hear that, we can now approach church leadership and we can approach the church itself in in egalitarian ways that simply say that, well, if we're all ministers, we're all on equal standing at the foot of the cross. And so that means that now there's no need for any leadership because we're one and the same and we all have the exact same role. But here's where we need to make some distinctions. Just because the Bible tells us that each one of us as his followers has the same function, it doesn't mean that we each have the same role. Some leaders, some leaders are set apart to lead the local church. Some leaders are set apart to lead the local church. And we see two types of leaders Two types of offices in the New Testament as it pertains to leadership in God's church. Number one, we see elders. Elders are servant leaders. In the New Testament, we see the term elder. We see the term pastor. We see the term overseer. Sometimes that word pastor may be translated shepherd. But regardless of whether you see the term elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer in the New Testament, they're all derived from the same Greek word. And we see that term about 20 different times in the New Testament. And almost always we see it in the plural, which points our attention to the fact that God expects in his local congregations to be a plurality of leaders, a plurality of pastor elders who are teaming together in nurturing God's flock together as a body and not simply as one pastor CEO who makes all the calls and all the decisions. Now we see these elders from the very first moments in the scriptures, and we're going to unpack this more uh, specifically in just a moment, but I want to talk about deacons for a moment as well, because not only do we see elders, we also see deacons. And deacons are leading servants. So whereas elders are the servant leader shepherds who are overseeing God's flock, and we're going to spend most of our time today unpacking what those responsibilities are. We also see deacons who are leading servants in the church. The term literally means servant. And they, be, and they were instituted in Acts chapter 6. Now, we don't have time for today's study to be able to look at that. But if you go to Acts 6, what you're going to find out is there were a lot of tasks that were being neglected in the everyday ministering to the needs of the church. And the apostles are looking at the needs and saying, it's not that we are better than serving, uh, too good to serve tables. It's not that we're too good to do 
what we might say is menial tasks in the church. That's not the point at all. The point is that the most important thing for elders, pastors, is to teach and to pray. To teach and to pray. And we can't stop teaching and we can't stop praying in order to take care of every fire that's coming up in the local church to minister to the needs of people. And so what God does at that point is He commissions a new group of leaders called deacons, servants in the church who would serve the local church and help the elders by ministering to the needs of the local church. Now you'll see that in Acts chapter 6. I encourage you to read that. Here at Mill City Church, we have what we call ministry leaders. We don't use the term deacon. We use the term ministry leader because it's the same principle. They are servants in God's church and they are serving ministry teams, leading ministry teams. Everything from audiovisual stuff that you see today, our worship team, facility care and vacuuming the floors and cleaning the toilets. Aren't we thankful for that? Amen. To setting up the hospitality space and greeting on Sunday morning and many other behind the scenes uh, activities and endeavors of our church. They are leading and serving in those ways. And we are thankful for each one of them in God's church today. And so some are called out. Some are called out to lead in God's church. And we see two specific roles. We see deacons who are servant leaders. Uh, and then we, sorry, deacons who are leading servants. And elders who are servant leaders. Now, I want us to understand our roles in the flock of God. Because those of us who are elders, pastors, overseers, we have a role in God's church. And you who are members of God's church, you also have roles. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack some of those roles. Now the reason why I'm using the term flock of God is because this is the language of the Bible. The Bible uses the term sheep shepherding flock all throughout it. And for better or worse, God uses that very descriptive language throughout the Bible comparing His church, His followers, to a sheepfold or a flock. For example, in Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, It is He who made us, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So we see it in the Old Testament. Jesus, in the Gospels, in John chapter 10, He says that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then when we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, when you look at verse 2, he's going to say to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so as Christians, the Bible calls us the flock of God. And we are led by the chief, ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now on the positive side, maybe all of this language about sheep and shepherding is because we are cute, soft, Cuddly and lovable. Perhaps. Or maybe it's because when we are left to ourselves spiritually, just like real actual sheep, we will walk straight off the cliff to our ultimate demise without the staff of a shepherd to pull us back in. You see, it's noteworthy that the Bible doesn't, that God did not choose to use the term lions or cougars or tigers to describe God's church. Now that would play a lot better as mascot of the church, right? I mean, go team, go. Have you ever noticed that no universities choose lambs or sheep for their mascot? 
I remember one Christian comedian said, what would our, what would our fight song be? Fleece them, fleece them, ba ba ba. right? I mean, that just doesn't tell the story. But God was very intentional in choosing the language to describe his people. He doesn't describe us as cougars. He doesn't describe us as tigers or bears. He describes us as sheep. And it points our attention to the fact that we need constant care and concern and nurture from the ultimate shepherd, our heavenly father. But it also illuminates the stark reality that we as his people are so utterly desperate for him as we walk here as sojourners and exiles on planet Earth. So let's read chapter five, uh, the first few verses of chapter five of first Peter. And then we're going to look at some specific things and takeaways of understanding church leadership in a 21st century context. In verse 1, Peter writes this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's the first truth I want you to see today. There's a responsibility for elders and there's a responsibility for members Let's first look at the elders today. Elders are commanded to shepherd God's sheep. We are commanded to shepherd God's sheep. It's not if you get around to it. It's not think about it. It's that we are commanded by the scriptures to shepherd God's sheep. It's what verse 2 says. He says, shepherd the flock of God. The very definition of the term pastor means shepherd. And there are a lot of different things that shepherding entails. And we're going to look at in just a moment. Now, this is important to reiterate. We've already seen that Jesus himself is the ultimate chief shepherd. And you see it outlined here in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears. And so you see there is an ultimate chief shepherd to whom that any under shepherd on earth is reporting to. And who is accountable to. But I want you to also see this, that God's sheep are so important to him. He loves you so much that he puts under shepherds over your care and over your nurture and over your protection. That he doesn't just leave us to ourselves and say, well, you're all equally ministers in God's kingdom and in God's church. So you guys just figure it out and everybody just get along and do this thing the right way. No, he knows that we need direction. He knows that we need shepherding. He knows that we need care. and He knows that we need protection. And so he gives us under shepherds to do those things. Now, there are at least four responsibilities that we see of elders in the scriptures. And there are more, but this are at least four to get us started this morning. Number one, elders lead under the authority of Christ. And this is what shepherding entails. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. Did you see this in verse 2 again? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. 
And so we see that God wants his people to be led. Now today, we don't like leadership very much, do we? We don't like leadership. We don't like authority. Whether it's the government, whether it's the IRS, whether it's the popo man at the corner who's clocking us on the radar, we, we don't like authority too much. We don't want our teachers to tell us what we can and can't do. We don't want our parents to give us rules and give us curfews. But the reality is God has written into the code and the fabric of our life and existence here on planet Earth of authority and to be led and to be shepherded. And we see this in a whole multitude of ways here on planet Earth. God wants his people to be led. God wants his people to have vision put before them. He knows that when left to ourselves... We will go a myriad of ways and we would go off track. We could literally walk off the spiritual cliff. Our churches would never look like the way God wants them to if they weren't led. So one of the responsibilities, one of the ways in which we shepherd is that we lead. We don't lead in a domineering way, the Bible tells us here. We don't lead in an authoritarian way. We don't lead in such an authoritarian way that we see ourselves as the masters of our own domain. We are leading under the authority of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this for a moment. There are a lot of uncomfortable things that we as leaders are commanded to do. And we're going to look at some of those today. You you even think about the topic of church discipline. You think about calling people out in their sin. You think about gracefully walking alongside of people. But then there are moments where you have to expose that for the good of the body and the good of the person. You think about having hard conversations. You think about the young man and the young woman who may be calling themselves Christians, but they're at the same time living under the same house and sleeping in the same bed. And and sometimes we have to call those things out and point them towards holiness and restoration. I want you to know for a moment, brothers and sisters, there is not an ounce of that that's easy. And if I could be quite frank with you this morning, I would rather not do it. And when left to myself, I would run away from that. Because no matter how, uh, how charismatic you may think I am or, or, or how assertive of a personality you may think I am, I want you to know that at my heart of hearts, I am still a people pleaser. And I want people to like me. And I want people to only have smile warm thoughts when they think about me. I want you to know that there are so many things about leading God's church that would be so much easier if we weren't under the authority of Jesus. In a human sense, it would be so much easier. It would be so much less confrontational. But because we are under the authority of Jesus, we must shepherd and we must lead in ways that he has called us to lead scripturally. And oftentimes that's going to rub us just like we rub when we get rubbed when we see the blue lights behind us. And just like we get rubbed whenever the teacher tells us something we're not supposed to do anymore. The Bible commands us to be led. And the Bible commands elders to lead. But we lead under the authority of Jesus. Secondly, a second way elders shepherd is that elders care for the body of Christ. You see, this isn't a power trip. This isn't about simply having someone in charge so that someone can tell some other people what to do. No, ultimately, shepherding is about caring for the body of Christ. 
And, and the elders care for the body of Christ in a couple of different ways in the way they shepherd. Number one, they nurture the flock. It's what you see in verse 2 when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, a good shepherd on earth is not going to go to his flock of sheep and just take the staff and just beat them into submission. Peter would have something to say about that anyway, right? That's not a good shepherd. A good shepherd nurtures. A good shepherd will take his staff and pull them back in when they need to be pulled in. But a good shepherd is going to make sure there aren't parasites taking refuge in their fleece. A good shepherd is going to make sure that the sheep doesn't get too close to the edge of the cliff. The, the good shepherd is going to feed the sheep, is going to care for the sheep, is going to nurture the sheep. But elders are, the, the, the good shepherd's not only going to nurture them, the good shepherd is also going to protect them. So elders, yes, nurture the flock by caring, by pushing you towards Jesus, encouraging your soul, giving you that smiling face and that arm around your shoulder when you need that. Going to nurture you by feeding you the word. We're going to look at that more in a moment. But an elder, a good shepherd, is also going to protect the flock. A good shepherd is going to take his staff and fight off the ravenous wolf that comes to eat the sheep. A good shepherd is going to protect the flock by saying, no, 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 you can't walk this far because you're going to fall off the cliff. And so one of the responsibilities of an elder is not only to do all of those positive things that we view as positive in nurturing us and caring for us and, and making our lives spiritually better, but also from our perceptions, the things that we don't see as a good thing. Like warning us in our sin when we're about to jump off the spiritual cliff. Or to protect us by saying, you know, you're going a way that's not the Christ way. I want to call you and I'm pleading with you to come back and obey Jesus and not do that anymore. They also protect the flock from those who would come from outside and enter into the flock and start teaching things that are contrary to the scriptures and contrary from the ways that you've been taught. And they whisper in your ear and it sounds right and it sounds good because they use the words of Jesus. They implore you with the name of God and they'll even quote scripture to you. But the Bible says that sometimes as sheep, we don't always have the spirit of discernment and the spirit of wisdom in large measure. And sometimes we will follow things that will actually lead us away from following Jesus. And we will do that thinking all the while that we are. I want to show you an example of this in Acts chapter 20. If you'll turn back with me in your scriptures, I would like to read this as much as I can in its context. And, and Jesus is leaving, uh, sorry, Paul is leaving Ephesus. And as he's leaving Ephesus, he gathers the Ephesian elders to himself and he starts challenging them and pointing them towards the way to go and warning them while at the same time exhorting them towards the, the goodness of God and the way of Jesus. And in verse 28, this is what he says to them. Now, these are the, to the leaders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31 says, therefore be alert. Here's what I want you to notice, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that sometimes, sometimes there are wolves that come from outside the church. And they filter in and they start pulling you away and they would lead you to destruction. But did you notice that he also said that also from your own selves, that there will be other people inside the congregation of Jesus who will look like a Christian and they will sound like a Christian. They will sound wise. They will sound discerning because they're going to use the language of the scriptures. But when you uncover their heart, there is something there that is not, other, not only unholy, but also destructive and toxic to your own souls. And Paul commands and challenges those Ephesian elders you look out for the people who come from outside, but you also look out for those who come from within and you protect the flock. Brothers and sisters, there's times that elders are called to protect the flock in ways that the flock doesn't even understand. And the flock even sees the elders and the leaders as being the enemies. But we're still called to protect you whether you think that we're protecting you or not. So one of the things, and I'll remind Andy, and I would remind Joe, and I remind other men who may be an aspiring elder one day. When the church commissions you, commissions you as an elder, and God calls you to do that, these are the darts and the bullets and the fires that you sign up for when we do this. Because protecting the flock is an important thing in the chief shepherd's eyes. And so what's important in his eyes, it's important in ours. Elders care for the body of Christ. They nurture, they protect. Thirdly, elders teach the word of Christ. Elders teach the word of Christ. Now, there are multiple passages in the New Testament that talk about an elder's responsibilities and the elder's character. And a couple of those, one is 1 Timothy 3 and the other one is Titus chapter 1. And in both of those passages, I want to point out the place where he talks about doctrine and teaching. In 1 Timothy 3 verse, 1, he's, uh, verse 2, he simply says this, that we should be able to teach. That an elder should be able to teach. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, he says this, he must, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here's what this means in the life of an actual elder every day, week in and week out. It doesn't mean that we're walking Bible encyclopedias. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that we never err because sometimes we do. We are imperfect human beings. But here's what it basically means. Number one, in order for elders to teach the word of Christ, number one, they know the word extensively. In other words, an elder is going to be acquainted with the scriptures. He's going to know the truth of God. 
in deeper ways, in more exhaustive ways than probably the average Christian does. It doesn't mean that you don't understand the scriptures. It doesn't mean that there are times that you can't check an elder on what he's teaching. It doesn't mean that at all. It just simply means that an elder is not someone who is new to the faith or has been in the faith for a long time and doesn't know the difference between Titus, Hebrews, or 1 Samuel. An elder needs to know that Hezekiah is not an actual book of the Bible. An elder needs to be acquainted with the scriptures. And as I taught on the word a few weeks ago, it's not just that the elder, an elder has gotten into the word over and over and over again, because there are a lot of people who know a lot of Bible verses. It's that an elder has allowed the word to get into him and to be changed by it. So they must know the word extensively and they must have an active devotional life in their own lives. They're not perfect in this, but they're active in pursuing it. But number two, not only do they know the word extensively, they communicate the word effectively. Verse 9 in Titus chapter 1 again says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, let me tell you what this means and what it doesn't mean. Now, what it doesn't mean is that, so every elder doesn't have to possess the ability to preach a five- or six-part teaching series on the book of Philippians. That's not what it necessarily means. Nor does it mean that every elder must take a turn at preaching on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that every elder knows how to rightly handle this book. That he knows what doctrine is and he knows what doctrine isn't. He knows how to talk to someone who is in need and apply the word in a a biblically responsible way to that person's life and need. I'm thankful to God that our elders in this church know how to do this. They don't know how to do it perfectly, but they know how to do it well, and I'm thankful for their example. They need to be able to be critically and exa- to be able to think critically and to think exhaustively regarding matters of theology, missiology, and Christian practice. So elders teach the word of Christ. So here's what we see so far. Let's, let's do a review. Elders are commanded to shepherd God's flock. And the way in which they shepherd... Number one, they lead under the authority of Christ. They care for the body of Christ. They teach the word of Christ. Lastly, I want you to see that they model the character of Christ. They model the character of Christ. Now, when you look at the three primary texts in the New Testament regarding the responsibilities and character of elders, you will find that they generally have one ability that's talked about often. Able to teach what we just looked at. Or to protect from error. The remainder of the list, which is pretty big, deals with character. And so, for example, when you look at 1 Timothy 3, we'll just use this as as an object lesson. In chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, beginning in verse 2, the scripture says, Therefore an overseer, remember overseer, shepherd, pastor, elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, we don't have time to look at each one of these today. But prayerfully, as you read this, you see that character matters for an elder. Notice what the Bible says here and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the responsibility of an elder, the character of the elder, is to always please you. To always make you happy. Or to always respond to every single thing that you have a need of. It's not to say that we don't do that. But sometimes our expectations and responsibilities of our leaders are more so of our own sinful heart than they are what the expectations and character traits are that the Bible prescribes. And so look for character. Look for their example. Andy and Joe, I want to remind, I want to remind you that, that our number one responsibility outside of teaching God's people the word and protecting them from error is to model Jesus to our people. And so the ways in which we interact with each other, the ways in which you lead your families, the way in which we work, the way in which we pursue Jesus, we are to give you an example. And Hebrews 13, 7 says it this way. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Brothers and sisters, that is a strong command to both us and you It's a strong command to us because we're constantly checking ourselves. Are we doing this? And then you have to check yourselves. Are you doing this? Imitate their faith. Elders are commanded to shepherd God's sheep. Now, God's sheep. God's sheep are commanded to submit to elders. God's sheep are commanded to submit to elders. Well, that's popular. <laughs> right? No, what country are you from? No, it's not, <laughs> it's not popular to, to submit to anyone today. Uh, we don't want to submit to the government. We don't want to submit to the popo. We don't want to submit to the teacher. We don't want to submit to elders. We don't want to submit to anybody. Why? Because we are autonomous beings and free spirits waiting to have our own personal revolutionary wars. But here's where the scriptures speak to each of us. Is that God has written submission into the code and fabric of all of human existence. As a matter of fact, in the book of 1 Peter, if you look at 1 Peter 2, In 1 Peter 2.13, he tells us that Christians are expected to submit to the government. In verse 18, he says that we are to submit to our earthly masters. Primarily in the 21st century, that would be your employers. In chapter 3, he says that wives are to submit to their husbands in the homes. Then you get to uh, verses 8 through 15 or so, and he tells us that we are to submit to one another in the body of Christ. And then you get to chapter 5, and look what he says in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, 
which this is everyone who is not an elder, be subject to the elders or submit to the elders. God has written submission into the very fabric of our being. Now, briefly, what I want to do in our final moments together is I want to show you from chapter 5 here, 1 Peter, as well as a couple of other passages, I want to show you at least four challenges for you in respect to us. And if I can say this with a little bit of smile on my face, I hope I can do this today without seeming too self-serving. But these are in the scriptures. They're for your benefit. They're for our benefit. And so let's look at them. Number one, how do we do this? How, do, how should we submit to our elders? Number one, show them respect. Show them respect. Peter tells the congregation at Rome to be subject to the elders in verse 5. The writer of Hebrews, again, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He says that, but then the writer of Hebrews, about 10 verses later in verse 17 of chapter 13, says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want you to see a couple of things about this. First of all, in thinking about respecting our leadership and submitting to our leadership, that's a, that's a huge statement, and that's heavy on your shoulders, and I get that. But may I point your attention to the heaviness that's on the shoulders of the elders? Did you see what the writer of Hebrews says? The writer of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Brothers and sisters, there are so many decisions and there are so many issues that we deal with on any given week that the average person in this room has no clue about. And oftentimes what we do as members of the body is we are only looking at circumstances through the lenses of the here and now, what's right in front of me, and with people whom I'm interacting with, people who are my brothers, my sisters, my friends. But elders are called to see the spiritual reality in the souls, the spiritual, spiritual good of the congregation. And one day, I will have to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account to every member who is in my care. This is not a game. This is not a club. This is not he said, she said. There is a supernatural, spiritual reality inside each of our hearts that your elders and your pastors are responsible to God for. That's heavy. And the writer of Hebrews says, you look at that heaviness and you consider the outcome of their lives, but you obey them and you submit to them because of there's a deep spiritual dynamic at play supernaturally that you don't even often see sometimes. So I want to challenge you as a congregation 
respect us. And respect us in a way that brings us joy. Don't be one of those members that when the email comes, you dread opening it. Or when the text message comes, you just want to ignore it. Don't be that member. The Bible says, behave in such a way, submit in such a way, that we would look at you with joy and not with groaning. That leads me to number two. Not only show us respect, but also show us humility. Show us humility. Verse five goes on to say, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, this mutual submission, this mutual encouragement, it requires humility on each and every one of our parts. Mark Dever, in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which I would definitely commend to you, writes this. We should desire to see in our church the right balance of authority and trust. It is a serious spiritual deficiency in a church either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or to have members who are incapable of trusting. As individual members, we must be able to thank God for the leaders He puts among us to recognize those so gifted and to trust them. Now this is not to say that godliness is simply gullibility, but it is to say that the capacity to trust is a crucial component of reflecting the image of God and of operating within the relationships of life in which that image is played out and expressed. What I want you to hear there from Dever's quote is basically this. In our homes, husbands and wives have roles. And as you perform those roles towards each other, you are reflecting the reality of the gospel, whether we feel like it or not, right? We, we reflect the gospel when we reflect those roles, demonstrate those roles regardless of our feelings. It's the same thing in God's church. Because here's the reality. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. There are going to be times that I'm wrong. Everybody hear me say that? Write it down, November 5th, 2017. 11.42 a.m. There are going to be times that I'm wrong. There are going to be times I might give the wrong advice. There will be other times that I'm going to respond in a sinful way. I may make the wrong decision. I'm going to make mistakes. And just so you know, so will Joe and so will Andy. Wanted to make sure they felt included this morning. As pastors, we're not perfect. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. There might come a moment where we're going to fail you and disappoint you. And the reality is there are going to be some times that you fail us and disappoint us. It's why we need humility. As pastors, we're not perfect, but we're called. And we've been appointed into this place, in this position and so to the best of our ability, by God's grace, we're going to lead you. And the Bible says that one day we're going to have to give an account for your souls. And so as a result, I would ask you to trust us and follow us. Because when we do our role and you do your role, we reflect the nature of the gospel. It's what God has put forth before us. It doesn't mean that you blindly follow. It doesn't mean that you will always agree. 
You won't. And you don't have to. But you do have to submit. And you do have to show humility. And in order to do that, can I just offer you two other things from 1 Thessalonians before we close? Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I have to be honest with you this morning, I really like this, these verses. This the self-serving part. But prayerfully, God knows my heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is one of Paul's most encouraging texts that he writes to any church. And that's to the church at Thessalonica. As he's closing in verse 12, he says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I want to show you two other things really quick. Number one, show them appreciation. Where do we see that? Well, in verse 12, where he says, respect those who labor among you, the New American Standard actually translates this, appreciate. And at its root, the term means to know by experience. So the application is simple. Is everybody with me still? Remember. Remember that your pastors and your elders here. Remember that we are human beings. We are real human beings with real flesh, real blood, real souls, real emotions, real feelings. We are real people. Get to know us. Appreciate us. It is much more difficult to throw darts and be critical when you honestly know the hearts of the ones who are leading you. Because you have history from which to draw. You have demonstration over the course of years to pull from. The Bible says, appreciate us. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are so many of you in this place who do this so well, so often. And I also want to tell you, we need it. We so need it. If we get 25 text messages, comments, or emails that are critical. But then we get a thousand that are appreciative and validating. Which ones do you think we most remember? The 25. The 25. We need more and more to overcome that stuff. Appreciate your elders. Lastly, show them love. Show them love. He says to esteem them very highly in love. I need to be loved. Do you need to be loved? Remember, we're human beings, so it's symbiotic. So let's love one another. But can I just show you a phrase that I think changes the ballgame in verse 13? He says to esteem them very highly in love because he's just a great, articulate communicator of the faith. No, that's not what he says. Esteem them very highly in love because he always responds just the way you want him to respond and does exactly. No, that's not what it says. 
It says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I want you to think about the hours that are spent praying and studying, counseling, nurturing, and leading our flock. Think about that. That Andy and that Joe and that I labor among you. That's why you esteem them very highly in love. You see, it's not as personal as it is. It points back to the work of Jesus. That's why you love them. So show them love. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if your experience with church leadership has been positive in your past or if it's been negative. I'm not even sure where you are here today as it pertains to me or to our other elders. I'm not sure where you are with our church today. But the commandments of God are very explicit to us that we as leaders have responsibilities to you and you have responsibilities to us. And as we're performing these responsibilities and roles, ultimately what we're doing is we are submitting ourselves to the ultimate shepherd because when we do that which he commands us to do towards one another, we are ultimately honoring him and his authority and his shepherding care over our souls. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you have not turned to the ultimate chief shepherd and you have not had your life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today to recognize the fact that God wants you to be one of his sheep. And God wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to submit your life to him and to his care so that he may lead you into the way everlasting and take his shepherd's staff and pull you away from the cliff spiritually that you're about to walk off of into eternal destruction. And so today, would you turn by faith and by repentance towards the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, and submit all of your life to him? The second thing that I want to encourage you to do today is I want to encourage you to examine your heart. What is your disposition towards leadership? Is it one of resistance? One of rebellion? Are you tempted even today to go perform your own spiritual revolution and break ties with anything leadership or authority in the church? I want to encourage you, submit. Submit and obey. Because when you submit the godly, to the godly leadership here on earth, you are ultimately submitting to your chief shepherd. And lastly, another application point, and I mean this wholeheartedly, would you commit today anew to pray for your elder team? We need your prayers. There are serious spiritual conversations we're having on any given day. Would you pray for us? Would you love us? Would you appreciate us and show humility towards us? As best as left up to me before God and you today. That's our commitment to you. We commit to do those things towards you. Would you commit to do those things towards us? Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for taking us to hard places in your scriptures today. Thank you for showing us Jesus today. And we recognize that whether we are a shepherd or whether we're a part of the flock, that we all need the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would turn our eyes, our affections, our attention 
towards you. Father, I pray today that we would submit, that we would ultimately submit to Jesus. And as we submit ourselves to Jesus under his authority, I pray that we would recognize that we must submit ourselves now to earthly authority. And Lord, we pray for grace that in this church, our elder team, our pastors, that we would always operate under the authority of Jesus, that we would model the character of Jesus, that we would teach the word of Jesus, that we would care for the body of Jesus. And Father, in doing so, as we perform our particular roles, our unique roles here, whether flock or whether shepherd, we pray that we would point each other and the world to the gospel of Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.